right, everybody, welcome to the 268th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man, Sage. The start of season four in NBA 2K just happened, and uh, I'm slowly starting the grind to uh, to legend in this year's 2K, so I'm very excited. But what also makes me very excited is to know what you think about this very interesting, very unique prospect in Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren is the most unique prospect that I can remember in my time as someone who has been always just fanatical about the draft, whether the Blazers have had a pick or have not had a pick. I love getting to know players who are going to be the the future faces of, of the NBA and seeing how they could be a fit. And just personally, I like being able to look back and say, I was right about that player or, or holy shit. Like I'm whiffed big time. Like w- what was wrong there? So you kind of are able to look at things that translate. Obviously the college game is significantly different, especially now than the pro game. So what skill sets are you identifying? Which ones can kind of be glossed over? None of this really applies to Chet Holmgren. It's such a crapshoot with him to be perfectly blunt. I, I I watched him. So before we fully get into it, uh, just a little bit of bio on Chet, a little bit of background. So Chet Holmgren plays at Gonzaga University. He's a forward center there, uh, seven feet tall, s- seven six wingspan, 195 pounds. He is a little bit older than most first year prospects. He is 19. He will be 20 by the time the draft turns. Uh, by the time the draft comes around in in June, uh, five star by rivals, number one player nationally, Gatorade Player of the Year, four time Minnesota State High School basketball champion, which is very difficult to do, um, no matter the state or the class level. Chose Gonzaga over Minnesota, Ohio State. Georgetown, Memphis, Michigan, and North Carolina. Uh, at the moment, Gonzaga is uh, thirteen and two. Uh, they just came off a dominating win over BYU. They are number two in both the coaches and AP polls. Uh, a little bit of statistics for Chet through the fifteen-game season, averaging thirteen point three points, eight point three boards. 3.3 blocks. So he's using that length to his advantage. He is shooting 60, 61.7% from the field, including 38.1 from downtown, uh, 70% at the line in 24.9 minutes. At last, before the BYU game, his PER was 30.6. I don't have that number after the BYU game. And we will be discussing... Uh, their showdown with UCLA, which took place November 23rd, 2021 in Vegas. At the time, it was number one, Gonzaga versus number two, UCLA. But back to my original thoughts on Chet. Sage, after watching him play, I, I can't. I can't tell right now. Uh, I, I said it to you. I think he could get a GM fired for passing on him. And I think he could, could get a GM fired for taking him in, in the top three. Um, it, it's really interesting to, to watch him play. And you had noted that going to Gonzaga was not really a good systematic, systematical fit 
for Chet. And after just watching one game and even a bit of the BYU game last night, I wholeheartedly agree. He went there with Drew Timmy, who is a he's an undersized post, but in the college game, he's a dominating post who demands a lot of usage. He's probably going to be the national player of the year. So he's rightfully so. They have a lot of talented collegiate guards. Uh, they don't pass him the ball. So everything is really like, oh, once in a while, he'll, he'll get the rock. So it's it's hard to evaluate what, what you're seeing on the floor on the offensive side of things. My Grammarly says I have 28 suggestions on writing and spelling errors. So I have a lot of thoughts about this. Mainly the offensive stuff is I think he has amazing touch around the hoop. He even showed it in that UCLA Gonzaga game. The touch around the hoop was legit. But really, I couldn't, I can't tell you what he does on offense well because he doesn't get a lot of chances to show it. His playmaking looks okay. He makes the right pass and the right read, but he doesn't get the ball enough to really show it. He has a narrative of being able to hit the three. It, it's such a small sample size that I can't really give you good information on is he a good three-point shooter? The form looks really slow, but it's good. What I have the most opinion on now currently is his defense. I think it was glaringly obvious that UCLA's game plan was let's bully Chet. They used their center. You saw that on the first play of the game. 6'11", Miles Johnson backed him down with ease on the first play. And then uh, I think two or three minutes later into the game, he faced up and bullied his way into free throws. Well, here's how I've, I've felt about it. They tried to bully him, but he would get pushed back initially. Have we talked about it? You talked about his weight, but like he looks frail and skinny. And, you know, for a shot blocking big, and honestly, he might be one of the best shot blockers I've seen in a long time. You kind of think of them to look like Oscar Shibway, someone we talked about last week, like super muscular and could jump out of the gym. Shets looks like a frail, frail basketball player. When he was getting bullied, I felt like he he got pushed back, obviously, because of the center. But he would get back into position and make the center close on a contested shot. He, he knows how to deal with his body. He's dealt with his body more than anybody in the past. So he absorbed the contact and then got right back into position. So even though they tried to bully ball him, I think that it might have worked in the first few plays, but it didn't work overall because I think he was one of the biggest reasons the, the Gonzaga, uh, Gonzaga had that humongous lead is because they kept trying to put their center or uh, Hawkes in against him in the post. And Chet just showed such discipline in post defense. I mean, we can talk about a lot of stuff. That post defense for a, a seven foot 190 guy was really, really impressive. Yeah. And this goes back to the point I made earlier about what skills are going to translate and I would argue that while he did show discipline and UCLA was not able to bully him, I would say to kind of play devil's advocate, UCLA doesn't have a lot of skilled bigs who, even if they get to the rim, they're going to know what to do with the basketball. Maybe their first initiation was 
oh, I'm just going to put my shoulder down, but then I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Like, I don't think that's going to work against Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Yusuf Nurkic. Who, who stops any of those players? I, no, that, that's, that's, that, that goes, that's what I'm saying is the talent at the NBA level, they're going to be stronger and they're going to know how to finish. So I still am extremely concerned about his weight. Even oh, I mean, that's, that's going to be the bit, that's going to be the thing between him staying in the league and not like exactly because I, I was looking back through former players who were, were tall and my perception of them being pretty skinny coming into the draft. So to reiterate Holmgren, seven feet tall, seven, six wingspan, 195 pounds. Probably. Did you, did you hear them say like eight different weights and during yeah. that individual broadcast? It was like seven foot, 180, seven foot, 190, seven foot, 185. Yeah, I mean, the the official metrics are one at 95. And I went back to the time of the draft to look at some players who similar skill sets kind of came in as tall and lanky prospects. And he's he's pretty significantly an underweight by, by quite a bit. You look at Giannis, 6'10", 7'3", wingspan, 205. So Giannis, even as skinny as he was, had 10 pounds on him. Porzingis was 7'1", 230 with that seven, six wingspan, Rudy Gobert, seven, two, seven, nine wingspan, 238 pounds. KD was the one that I was kind of thinking of a lot because he couldn't bench press the 185. That was the, the big knock on him coming out of Texas, six ten, So a little bit shorter, but he still has 20 pounds on him at, at 215. And so I, I looked at Kevin Durant and there was an article in the Oklahoman, um, probably a few years ago that detailed how he was able to put on the weight. So he went from six uh, to 15 in 07. He got up to 223 in 09, 231 in 2011 and 237 in 2013. So he gradually was able to bulk up and still maintain his skill and agility. Uh, there was a few others. Uh, Dirk was 611 uh, with that seven, four wingspan, but he was at 237. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, who I remembered vividly as a rookie, just had those long arms, so skinny, but he was even 234, which surprised me at 611, had a similar wingspan. Jermaine O'Neal, right out of high school uh, in South Carolina, 611, 226. So he's got 30 pounds on him. Uh, Bull Bull, who I remember watching at the University of Oregon, 7'2", 210. Seven seven wingspan, so that's that's a pretty similar uh, body type because Bull Bull had the two inches, so it makes sense why he was fifteen pounds heavier. The only player that I can think of was two drafts ago, uh, Pokashevsky, seven feet tall, one ninety, and he's struggling in the league because he's not able to put on the weight. So my biggest concern with Chet Holmgren is, is the weight. And if he's going to be able to add that weight to his, his frame, because some frames you can look at a player and say, yeah, he's, he can fill into those shoulders, into those hips, and he's going to be able to maneuver. You also don't want him to put on too much weight too quickly because as Blazer fans have all seen with, with our big man, you know, Greg Oden, you don't want to put a lot of weight and stress on, on joints when a, a human being is that tall. So there is going to be, you know, I think the most important hire, whatever team drafts Chet would be, would be a strength and conditioning coach, a, a nutritionist, someone who is going to be able to help him grow. Because when I look at, at Chet, 
I see an NBA three. If I'm if I'm projecting him to be a center, I don't like him as a prospect. I think is he it the Lowry marketing type of three, like with Cleveland? He needs to be able to stay on the perimeter, shoot that three, and that's why I talked about Gonzaga not running a lot of attempts. Oh, no, the, it's awful for him. Yeah, I want to watch him catch and shoot. Like we we've seen him dribble, we, we've seen him block uh, in his length. Uh, you mentioned his shot blocking being extremely impressive. I think at the next level, what I was more impressed with was his ability to close out on the defense. Oh yeah. You remember the play uh, against Juzang in like the first 12 minutes of the game where he was able to use his length and lateral quickness to cut off angles on a, all of pack 12 player in Johnny Juzang. He used, uh, he, I, I found that his, ability to guard on the perimeter was really high, but I think that one thing that I loved was his pick and roll defense and the versatility that he can show on that side, because it's obvious that he's really, really, really good at drop coverage, but with his lateral quickness, he can do, I would say every uh, style of pick and roll uh, coverage in the, the lateral quickness, the ability to cut off angles. He's a, it even uh, Johnny Juzang tried to bump him off, and he just couldn't. The what he can show defensively is so intriguing because he could be that that special type of guy that can defend the pick and roll, be a great help side blocker. Like he has it all defensively. If he didn't have the weight issues, he would be the number one prospect in the, like the last ten years, wouldn't he? I, I would assume so. I think you're talking about one of those generational drafts, the the Odin Durant, the LeBron, the Duncan, um, all, all of those years where everyone is tanking with the intent on trying to get homegrown because the, the weight is 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 my red flag. I think it's a multiple red flags. It's it's something that is going to either help him become a hall of fame player, or he's going to be out of the league after his first contract. Uh, he does a lot of things that, that you really like and back to his, his defense. I, I think why I want him out in the perimeter a little bit more, especially early on is I think he's going to have difficulties defending without fouling at the next level, just because he does, he does give me baby giraffe vibes a little bit. Like he's still growing into his body. I think he's going to get knocked off balance a bit uh, with NBA strength. And we know officials love calling fouls on the rookies. I think he's also going to pick up a lot of fouls going over the back, just trying to use his length. I mean, it's just the optics of it are going to have the officials blow, blowing their whistle. So I think he's going to have to learn how to defend as NBA officials want him to defend, the skill set is there. But I think early on, he's going to need to first just figure out how can I stay on the court without fouling? I mean, th- and that really pains young bigs. I mean, some haven't grown out of that. Jaron Jackson Jr. has not grown out of that. Zach Collins never grew out of that. Uh, other players have. So, I mean, along with the weight, it's going to be how can he defend at the at the league level uh, without fouling, uh, Sage, I know you're big into playmaking. One thing I noted what he, he was a willing passer and I think his size allows him to see the floor. I think he's already a really good decision maker at this age. Um, 
there is nothing stopping him from being one of the most lethal passers in, in the league with his guard skills on the, on the perimeter and his size and length. If he's able to palm that, I don't know his hand measurements off the top of my head, but if he's able to palm that ball, like Sabonis did, or like Kawhi does, he should be able just to dot passes and you can run offense through him. So you can kind of take, his size and use it as an advantage on the offensive end without having just to, you know, dump him the ball in the paint and say, play traditional basketball. I see him spacing the floor uh, with his jump shot, but also being a remarkable playmaker. Like I think that is almost where he has the most growth and potential and where I see him providing maybe the most value offensively is getting players open. Yeah. It's just tough. Cause he, he doesn't get the ball enough to show it, but I definitely think he can make the right passes. I would say one of the biggest red flags for him, of course, it's the weight, but I think it's the team that he gets drafted to. If you're expecting Chet to come in and be your star center at at year one, Chet Holmgren, you're going to look like an idiot. I think that Cleveland is a great example with Evan Mobley because he's also really a skinny player not as skinny as Shep, but he's very skinny to have a big guy with Evan. I think him being there the first year shows that this works when you have a, a, a very rare, potentially transcendent guy having that, that big uh, center there to absorb some of the contact. Like if we didn't trade Yusuf, which that's a humongous question mark. I feel like that, that pairing would be really good because Chet's biggest hangups are strength and uh, size. Yusuf can handle that. And then Chet can do the things that uh, Yusuf cannot. So I think that that would be a really good pairing. And then you can really get to use, get to see what Chet is all about. He, he might be the best defensive prospect in the post that I've seen since Anthony Davis. I really, really think he is a transcendently good defender in the post. For reference, Evan Mobley is seven feet tall as well, but he's also 215. So he has 20 pounds on, on Chet. So that was just for um, reference there. And I think that's kind of what people are, are asking. You got to get at least 215 if you're Chet. You have to put 20 pounds but it has to be safe and responsible. Like he can't just start eating McDonald's. It, it does. It has to, has to be safe and responsible, but there's no, I just don't think he's going to be effective until he can get to two ten at least like the, right now. He's, so he's going to, is your one Chet going to be uh, ineffective? I think he's, he's the longest uh, lead time when it comes to a prospect, you're going to have to really wait. You can't expect him to come and make an impact date one year, one year, it might be a year three where you're really starting to see hit his impact. The, the weight is it's a, it's a massive deal breaker. I think for, for some teams for good reason, if you're able to be patient with him and take a long-term approach, it could pay dividends. As you mentioned, if you expect him day one to come out there and be even just a contributor, I, I think you're, you're sorely mistaken. I, I think he's going to need a lot of time getting his body right for an 82 game grind right now. He's playing a college schedule. He's really only playing about 20 to 24 minutes. And that is, I mean, we've already seen heard players talk about the adjustment from the collegiate amount of games to an NBA season. And those are players who are league ready right now, physically, 
when you're not physically ready, he's going to need to be brought in off the bench, probably in bursts, because you don't want also his body to just take a massive beat down every single night. And then he's not really able to grow naturally. So whoever gets him really has to think about this from a long-term uh, thought process on how Chet can grow. So it's, it's, it's a huge reason why I'm so torn on whether I, I, I love or hate this prospect. Um, but there are those flashes uh, of brilliance that, that you see, the that, rebound where he gets really a rebound and takes it. it coast to coast for the dunk. Yeah. He had two plays that, that really stood out to me. Like he, he had that rebound where he pulled it down, dribbles coast to coast, laid it in. It was a bit awkward, but it's still a seven foot player making that move. So it's, it's impressive nonetheless. <laughs> then he had a play in the second half where he blocked a shot, uh, came off the ball, a uh, help side, uh, grabbed that board, handled it up court, went behind the back, into the paint and finished with a, a really beautiful two-hand slam. Uh, those are the plays that, that get the scouts and get the, the general managers really hyped up and kind of validate his stance as, you know, a, a top three pick. So it's not just like you see a tall player out there. It's a tall, skilled player who I think in the long term could be the best player out of this draft class. But you, you mentioned it. He has to go to a team that's willing to take the long haul, take the long-term approach with him. And I, I think it's going to be a team that has, has some beef inside that can handle the team's strongest player. I think he's better going up against shorter, powerful players because like, like, like we saw when UCLA tried to put a shorter, powerful player in there, he was just able to block it. But if you get size and power, that's where he's going to struggle. So I, I would keep him on the perimeter at least until he's able to, to bulk up. He's still nimble. Like he's not super athletic. He's not super explosive, but he's nimble and he, and he's quick. And I think that those are two traits that you really, you can't ask for much more out of a big man, like a big man who can move, especially on the perimeter. That that's, that's rare. Anticipation, especially in that UCLA game. I thought he was, super like his rotations were so crisp and it was because he noticed what the other four players were doing and anticipated where the help needed to be the IQ that he shows defensively honestly like I, I get handling with kids glove I think he will I think he will be a rotation player year one M maybe not starter quality like 30 minutes, but I think he can be a good road, a, a rotation player, his rookie year with the intelligence and the, the, the defense. I think that's a, a team that's smart enough to uh, put him with the right players around him. I think he will be a good rotation player year one. So we are speaking of the UCLA Gonzaga game. It was back on November 23rd of, of this past year in Vegas, one Gonzaga to UCLA Gonzaga rolled 83 63. They jumped out to a 20 point lead at the half and really never looked back in that game in 28 minutes of action. Chet Holmgren had 15 points, solid six of eight shooting two of four from downtown six boards, four blocks, one steal, and only eight shot attempts, which was fourth most on the roster, uh, which goes back to a point that maybe he could have went elsewhere to get a little bit more 
exposure or maybe it was the perfect situation for him because Gonzaga's hiding really anything glaring and he's not hurting his draft stock but selfishly from uh somebody scouting and trying to project him I I wish there was a little bit more opportunity he uh, doesn't even get to be the lone center on his team like they always try and put him with somebody big so you miss out on the post touches and I, I I was really impressed by that touch around the rim like I could definitely see him doing some high level like floaters and stuff to get to the to the rim against like a legitimate shot blocker. I was impressed. So we had just can't come off of uh, watching uh, Paolo Banchero take on Kentucky in Madison Square Garden as our, our most recent Future Friday. Um and I was griping about his inability and his lack of effort on, on the glass. Chet, for all of the, I think, the, the red flags with, with his you know weight, he put an effort every single time to try and box out. And I, that's, I think, again, all you can ask for is a player that's, that's willing to do the dirty work. And I don't know if he's ever going to be a dominant rebounder, especially if he's on the perimeter, but it was just that little, I think if you're willing to, to box out, and willing to kind of get your hands dirty, you're going to be willing to do a lot of other things that maybe don't show up on the box score. And I, I thought for a player of his caliber coming into uh, his collegiate career, I mean, he could just, you know, be like, nah, I'm, I'm the best player. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Uh, I, I thought that says a, a lot about him and maybe his coachability um, down the road. Because if, if you're, you know, he probably contact doesn't feel super great at his size and weight, but he's, he's down there. He's boxing out. He's making an effort. I, I think that that shows like a toughness about him that, you know, quit talking about my fucking weight. Like this is just who I am, you know? And then there's that, those people, and I'm glad we haven't mentioned it yet, but there's those people that worry about injury issues with Chet, but he hasn't ever had a real major injury. There's guys that are looked like Adonis as compared to him that have had major, major injuries. We've seen it with Yusuf Nurkic. Chet's hurt his wrist once and was out for like four games. I know that he's going to need to put on muscle, but to to use his body type as an excuse for he's going to get injured in the pros is kind of kind of lazy thinking when he, he hasn't really dealt with it in his career. How do you think he fits in with the Trailblazers? With the roster as it is on January 14th, just, just well, Dame. Let's assume Dame's the only safe piece. Like we've talked about how Jabari and Paolo fit with Dame. How would a roster with with Dame, additional pieces, and Chet as as the as the core? How how does that work for you? I think Chet would make Dame's life a lot easier with if with the skill sets that Chet has offensively and defensively. I think that he would be. I think Jabari's the best fit, but I think Chet is easily the second out of the players that we we uh, uh, talked about thus far. So I, I think he is a good fit, not the best fit. Where is Chet on your list for you and your list for the Blazers? Because I th- I have a feeling they're different. Still too early for me. We've really only had three episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jabari Smith from Auburn university still by far leaps and bounds the number one player that i've seen um i think if you're looking even big board or for the blazers if you're looking for a more of an impact ready right now prospect paolo would be number two but if you're 
maybe in a rebuild or taking a longer term approach. Like if you look back five years, who's going to be the best player? I think Chet would be number two. So just different variations of how you want to look at it. They would flip flop between two and three. There's really intriguing things to love about both prospects. And there are also some concerns about both. It just really depends on what your objective is when it, when it comes to, to drafting uh, that player. How about you? I have Jabari number one, Chet two, uh, Paolo three. And, uh, I think the gap between one and two is pretty big, but and I think the gap between two and three is pretty big. I, I've, I the the defensive tools fascinates me a lot. I think that he could be. I think he could be so so excellent if, who whatever coach, gets the opportunity to play him, treats him with the uh, the long term approach. So I, I definitely have him at number two. So I think this is the most difficult ask ever in the player comps because he is such a crazy in uh, specialized talent. Did you come up with any player comps? It's, it's difficult, right? I mean, you really, at some point when you're looking at just like the floor, you have to look at other tall lanky guys <laughs> who haven't made it that they, they, they busted. And, you know, a couple of ones that came up were, maybe a better defending bull bull or a uh, uh, Nikolaj Shkidashvili who, you know, kind of was a perimeter oriented player, just couldn't really put it together. Didn't have a lot of uh, weight on his frame. I think he's probably more skilled than, than, than Shkidashvili, but again, it's hard to find uh, a comp, maybe 75 in these seasons, just seeing him really one and a half times, like needing to actually do more, more research on him. 75, maybe just like, Pokushevsky and what Pokushevsky could be. And then a 95, maybe a better defending Chris Taps Porzingis. Okay. So mine are, mine's weird. And I'll probably have to explain it a little bit. I mean, like bottom tier, he's not in the league. So like Zach Collins, the injuries and like him not putting on weight, he he's out of here. But I think at 25, and this is going to be a weird one. I think his uh, low end outcome is Thad Young. Because I think they both have the same passing chops. They both have great anticipation skills. In this scenario, he develops some weight, but he's going to be like the fifth option on a team and has some specialized skills, but he's just helping a team win with like not killing you in any one area. 75 is tough. If if weight is an issue, I think he's Marcus Camby with the shot blocking, and he develops a lot of weight. 90 is a better Evan Mobley, and 99 is somebody that I can't imagine how good he is. If he hits one, if he hits, he might be the best player in the league. We'll we'll be talking about how great Chet Holmgren is. So it, it's it's the widest uh range of outcomes, but if you are patient and he develops weight, he could be the, the, the player that you look back and like, why are some people so stupid and didn't draft him like the Giannis in 2013. But I mean, out of the league and then the best player, it's such a wide range of outcomes. Um, 
it's a lot easier of a pill to swallow when you're Milwaukee picking Giannis in the middle of the draft rather than a team possibly rolling the dice on the number one pick. So it's a yeah. lot easier to, oh, to yeah. take a risk when you're back in the draft rather than your first up to bat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't take them first because I, I don't have that. I don't have King Kong balls, but I would definitely take them over Paolo. Um, well, I wouldn't take him for, I just think Jabari is a better prospect. I mean, the, the top percentile outcome, I mean, it has to go to Chet, but, uh, it, we did watch a pretty legitimate game with college, uh, superstars. Were there any players that caught your eye? No, not, not from, from the pro level. Um, UCLA has a, a player who's projected to go first round Peyton Watson. He didn't, I mean, this was one of his, his first games. He was a, a McDonald's all American five-star uh, but I did watch him yesterday uh, play my Oregon Ducks, which the Ducks got the dub in Poly Pavilion. Peyton Watson stuck behind a really veteran team that came mm. that returned all starters from a they're, they're final, trying to win a chip final four appearance. He looked like the, their best player, though. He, he looked like he's got some handle just in his body type and maneuverisms when he has the ball. Very young Grant Hill kind of vibes I picked up on. He's going to need a couple years. Like I told you, I, I I wish he would stay at UCLA for one or two years, like like players used to. I, I understand it. You need to get that guaranteed money, and there's no rhyme or reason to pass up being a lottery pick. Uh, but again, whoever drafts him is going to need to spend a lot of time developing him, probably sending him to the G League. But the the skills are are all there. He he just needs growth and maturation. Yeah, I. I... He'd be one of those guys that, like, UCLA's like, we're competing for a chip, but if you stay next year, we're we're focusing all of our attention on you. And if he doesn't accept that, I would he would be one of those G League and Night deals. That, I mean, he needs to play, though. Like, yeah. he was the best player for UCLA, UCLA on the floor, and they had him out in, in crunch time. So that might be a seniority thing, but it, I don't think it had anything to do with them trying to win a chip. He, he, was, one, he was their best performer in that in that game. So I think that was more Mick Cronin rather than trying to win a chip because he, at that point, gave them the best shot, in my opinion. I didn't watch the game. Is there anybody you would take outside, outside of Peyton Watson on that UCLA team in the first round? Watson's the only potential guy that I, like, Jaime needs to be, either be able to shoot really well or slash really well, and I haven't seen that. And then Johnny's kind of, in 2000s, he'd be pretty cool with the mid-range, the ISO mid-range. But in this day and age in basketball, how it's advanced and gotten smarter, you can't you can't be willing to give him the isolation possessions that he needs to hit value. So I, I was I was I would think that both of them are second round picks, but Paul uh, Watson's easily the the number one guy, and then Drew Timmy's just an excellent college player. He's a big man on campus. Like he, he's, he's a collegiate. He deserves superstar. every bit of usage that he gets. Yeah. He's easy. He's probably, if he leads Gonzaga to a chip, he's going to go in the college basketball hall of fame. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's that good of a collegiate player. When I think of really good collegiate players, like Christian Leitner, like he just had all the skill set to dominate that level of competition. I, I just don't know if he's athletically gifted enough to play on the perimeter, which he's going to have to do in today's nba like you look at a guy at iowa last year luca garza a big 10 player of the year 
he had to really, really slim down to really even get drafted. And even then I am just not certain. Like there's just, there's a peak for every player and where they can kind of cap out at. I, I, I think he's extremely skilled in Drew Timmy, but you sometimes you just can't teach lateral quickness and mobility. Teams are going to find you. They're going to put you on the perimeter. He can't play gonna, in playoffs. Or, they're going to make you defend. I yeah, mean, he, he, if you're looking for a Blazers comp, look no further than Caleb Swanigan, who was, again, the Big Ten player of the year. He was a really good passer. He was an extremely skilled player, had the mid-range shot, had some good post moves. You got to the league. The defenders were a little bit uh, bigger, stronger, faster. The post moves were, were negated. And he was never known as the most mobile. So they put him out on the island and you couldn't play him. Like it's just today's NBA. If it's in 2000s, the 90s, I think Timmy's a lottery pick. Mm. I th- I, Nemhart kind of interests me because I saw him do some high level dribble combos into shots that went in. But then I looked deeply at like his statistics and he's only gone to the free throw line 12 times this season. And uh, one last stat about Chet that I recently saw. When he's on the court, he, he hit the uh, defense allows 48% on the floor. And when he's off, the opponent shoot 57. That just shows the, uh, the defensive skill set that uh, Chet has. So um, do you have anything else to say about this very interesting, very, very specialized uh, prospect? No, other than uh, keeping an open mind, we'll be probably probably have a couple more episodes on the the rest of the, of the big three. I think it's pretty, I mean, it is January, uh, mid-January. The draft doesn't happen until June, but I would be very surprised if anything changes in regards to Jabari, Paolo, and Chet being the consensus at the top three of, of the 2022 NBA draft. Uh, just continue to be on the lookout every Friday. Um, we're going to pivot now to some of the more premier wings uh, coming up in, in the NBA draft, whether that's Johnny Davis at Wisconsin or Jaden Ivey from Purdue. Uh, so be on the lookout. Um, I tweeted out from the Holy Backboard account uh, some of the primetime games that were on television. So if you want to do your own research, do your own scouting, uh, Thursday was a fantastic day, which uh, for basketball Thursday the 13th, I mean, there was uh, BYU and UCLA. Arizona, Colorado, Oregon, UCLA, along with, you know, our Blazers taking on the Nuggets. So it's just <laughs> that wasn't a, as fun. <laughs> hey, it was the one game I got to watch. So I, I tuned in. So um, whatever you want to do, I mean, there's, it's called, it's, it's cold outside, you know, the coronavirus is kind of throwing a wrench into everything again. So stay safe, stay inside, you know, bone up on your knowledge. Um, lots of games on FS1, ESPN, ESPN2, CBS, um, all of those. And it's only going to pick up. We're probably just about a couple months away from March Madness, about six weeks away from the call, uh, the conference tournaments. Um, just one last uh, piece of you know caution. Don't put all your stock into that one game you watch in March Madness. That's why it's important to kind of look throughout the course of the season, see how they're able to perform and kind of form your own opinions on these guys.